for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hi there. So hopefully you enjoyed our 200th episode last week and are ready for a solo episode this week with our 201st episode. So we had an amazing response in terms of requests for a free copy, well just pay for the postage of my How to Be a Change Superhero best-selling business book, retailing at $14.99. So we were actually oversubscribed last week with people emailing in for them. So our publishers very kindly allowed me to release some additional copies. And given that the topic this week is all about change, uh, if this is of interest to you, you're embedding a software change or a system change, which is what we're talking about here. A lot of the principles in this episode will be really highly relevant and reinforced through the book or go into in more detail. So with that in mind, we've actually released an extra 50 copies um, of How to Be Changed Superhero by my good self, retailing at $14.99. And if you would like to be one of the lucky people who can access one of these for the princely sum of £3 to cover our postage and packaging, uh, then just email us on info at actus.co.uk. So that's info, I-N-F-O, at actus.co.uk. Um, obviously, we'll have your email address from you emailing us and we'll respond back to you with a simple payment link and uh, we'll then post one out to you. So if this topic is of interest to you and you didn't hear the end of last week or you weren't lucky enough um, to get one of the books last week, then um, here's a second opportunity for you to get a free copy of the book. So good luck and I hope you find this week's episode of news. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this is a solo episode based on a really popular webinar that I ran recently for actually for Actus clients. But this is something that could apply to any kind of culture change, and but in particular system change, where you feel that you want to either launch something really successfully or you feel you haven't quite got the traction uh, that you got with something that you tried to launch and you want to relaunch it. So hopefully you'll find it a really practical episode. You'll also be able to download um, slides that are attached to this from the HR Uprising um, podcast if you want to, from the show notes, um, and actually listen to the webinar if you want to listen to that as well. So I hope you'll find it of use. So what I want to cover here is why it is that sometimes we find that users don't engage with the system. We might have engaged them in the first place and got them interested and excited about it, but for some reason they're resisting engaging. Um, We're going to talk also about what do we need to do to motivate them to want to use something. Three C's, which are communication, clarity, consequence and consistency. 
slightly different from the ones I've got in my um, H a Change Superhero, the five traits of a Change Superhero. Uh, there's more C's we've got there. We'll also talk about the processes, roles and responsibilities that you need to embed any kind of system usage and align it to Cotter's well-known uh, large-scale change model. And then finally, I'll finish on eight steps that just little reminders. Um, we've got this as an infographic as well that you can use to refresh and relaunch something that you tried in the past or just to launch it through. So that's what I want to cover when I go through this here. So in terms of why change fails, uh, there's loads of reasons, but usually when you look at the evidence, it relates down to people related issues um, or things that are solved by people. It's not necessarily that you got the technology wrong. Um, it may have been implemented beautifully, but there are more cultural reasons why things don't get you know, taken up however great an idea we thought it was in the first place. There are six points that I've come across quite regularly and I'll come back to a number of these. So one of them is we haven't created any sort of sense of clear expectations or vision. So people don't know what's expected of them and they don't see how it links to a clear future vision for your organisation. And when I come back to that, it talks about why. Now linked to that, there may be no sense of urgency or real reason for them to change. So the burning platform that you hear about in certain areas. Maybe there's no timetable. We've just said, go and talk to people. Let's have a coaching culture. But you know, people are busy. How do we get them to actually do these things? Then the other challenges could be, um, you might have leadership or sponsorship, which is paying lip service, but actually their behaviors are different. Or maybe that leaders aren't doing anything at all and it's just seen as an HR initiative, in which case we're doomed if that is the case. You need to get that involvement. Buy-in is key. I mean, these are in no particular order because actually maybe you want to get buy-in at the beginning of something um, or to continue getting buy-in all the way around. So people, there are those sort of people who have that wasn't invented here style about them where they don't buy in or they're resistant because uh, they weren't involved in something. Then really common uh, from my experience in terms of system change is that there's a big bang launch or some communication and there's no impetus or follow through. And then finally, there are no consequences if we don't change. So each of those I'll come into further as I go through this. One of the uh, quotes that I quite like, uh, which ties into the buy-in thing, is Peter Senge's quote, which is, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. And I think that's what we always have to remember, um, is do people feel like something's being done to them, or is it something that we could motivate them further, or you know, if they felt that it was their idea, we could get more out of it. So when people resist change, uh, one of the main reasons is they're purely not motivated enough to change. It's not enough in it for them. And why might that be the case? Well, it may be that they really just do not understand the bigger picture, the why. So what is the value of this for the organisation? Um, you know, why should I be inspired to manage people in a different way, uh, to change my behaviour? Uh, you know, what's the bigger why? So something about tying into the organisation, uh, whether it's a strategic vision, whether it's about retaining people, um, you, know, mo uh, you know, developing people, about it being the right thing to do. If you're in the health service, it might be about saving lives. If we manage people effectively and um, roll out this more efficient system, whatever it might be, it's going to help us to you know, deliver based greater patient care. Um, if we work in higher education, it may be that by um, implementing this system, we're going to 
uh, deliver a greater student experience because we'll be managing people more effectively. We might be able to achieve a greater work-life balance where people will be happier, there'll be less sick days in any of these organisations and people will stay. So it's connecting the bigger strategic why as to why you are implementing a system which people often go, oh, it's seen as very transactional a system and connecting it to a bigger why. And that why is not only about where the organisation is going, so something we can believe in from an organisational point of view, it also applies to me as an individual. So the why needs to work on a number of levels and it needs to translate into a what is in it for me as an individual. You know, the classic one is people, you know, we, we need to be more successful to increase shareholder value. I worked for an organisation that that was their mission. So, well, who's excited about increasing shareholder value if you're not a shareholder? So you need to have a message on a number of different ways as to why something needs to happen. And ideally, it's inspiring, not just about compliance. So you want them to understand and ideally agree with what the bigger why is. Um, you want them to see that there's something that's a what's in it for me type thing. And then there needs to be a consequence if they don't do anything. Too many people have experienced change being done to them. Uh, they've chosen not to do anything and there was no consequence. So they've just learned that if I dig my heels in, put my head down, it will go away. And ultimately, even a desirable change, the status quo is more comfortable. So if we don't really start to motivate people to want to change, um, rather than just try to change them or tell them to change, then we're not going to we're not off to the right start in the first place. So always start with why. How very Simon Sinek. Okay? Um, so then also, if we think about um, a change model, in any of these models I'm going through, I'm going through them quite quickly. Uh, but I have covered lots of. I've got other webinars and podcasts on the whole change content, um, and I go through this also in my book, How to Be a Change Superhero. So you can refer back to any of these, but I'll go through them relatively quickly here. So the Lewin change model talks about in order to make a change, you have to unfreeze something in order to refreeze it. It's not sufficient to just say change. You have to undo or unpick the old way of doing things and refreeze it in a new way. And I have a, a, a slightly lightweight analogy. But if you think about that, I quite like those. Um, you come across those huge gin and tonic balls of, um, of ice, which we've recently come across, which, um, you know, big spheres. Now, if you want, you, you can't just, this sounds obvious, but you can't, can't just, you know, put a square bit of ice into a circular um, ice cube maker and expect it to change shape. Obviously, right? What you have to do is melt it first and then pour it into the new one to change it. And we're saying that organisations are the same way. So you have to melt them and think about that in terms of how you do that, which is by motivating people to change. It's about communicating with people. It's about listening to what their wants and desires are. It's about overcoming resistance. It's what we need to unfreeze an organisation um, in order to then refreeze it in the new way. And the refreezing is about not just stopping when we communicate change. It's about implementing it. It's about being consistent and going through it for the long term to actually refreeze it. And I apply that onto the Cotter's eight-step change model, John Cotter, the expert in change. So he talks about the process of unfreezing an organisation is by, first of all, establishing a sense of urgency. And you do that by identifying potential crises on the horizon or major opportunities. So working out why do we need to do this and making sure there's some length level of impetus. Otherwise, why on earth are we going to bother? He also says you need to form a powerful guiding coalition, and that's key for getting people to buy in. For me, I think about stakeholders, try and get people involved there who could be resistors, definitely people that you need 
to have on board and who are powerful individuals and also to find out what um, the concerns might be of others. So don't do it on your own. Get other people involved is what we're saying here and create a compelling vision and strategies to achieve it. And this is our why. So you need to have this powerful why that I was alluding to earlier, which is motivational, ideally, um, and translates uh, into different levels for different people. So once you've done those three steps, and you can look at the visuals, it'll be easier for you. Um, the uh, next step is to change, to make that change. So if we think about communicating the vision, this is, Cotter says you can't communicate enough. In fact, you have to communicate 10 times more than you think you should. And there, what we would be saying with the communication is use all sorts of forums, channels, you know, video, podcasts, um, written communication, make it visual, make it exciting, talk to people. Don't just say something and expect something to resonate and people to behave differently because you just said it. It won't work. And for me, many, many organisations, they, they get as far as they've... Um, rolled out, they've done all the technical stuff, they've created the vision, this is what we want to do, and then they embed, implement a system, and then they communicate it and say, now go off and do whatever it is differently. And, you know, you go and, um, you know, manage people uh, a monthly, have monthly check-ins or whatever it might be, and they people will just do it. But of course they don't. It's much easier to do nothing, isn't it? So what we then have to do is persist. So we need to think about how do we remove obstacles, empower others. So that's about engaging other people, maybe super users in an organisation, local champions to train, develop and support others. It's about um, changing if there are systems and structures that are undermining something. So yeah, let's say that you've still got an old, uh, an old template in something else. People are still having to follow a manual process in some area when um, actually you want them to move online. So try to take away things that are making it harder for people to move online. If you think about um, COVID, uh, organisations have been trying to get people to work virtually for ages to use you know, technology to save on various things, whether it was Teams or otherwise. But it wasn't until there was a real compelling event or there was we were forced to do it that people all jumped on and really embraced these things. So what you have to do to a certain extent is, um, clearly I'm not saying arrange a pandemic, but um, think about are there any systems and processes? Sometimes you see people have rolled something out, but they haven't taken away a key aspect. So you have to, you've got a lovely digital process, but you've still got to jump off and do something manually uh, in order to go and go all the way through that process. So think about how you can make sure that everything is aligned with supporting that new process. And then going further through the change. And again, I see lots of organisations do this really well. So they get to this and they see certain people using it. They do all the training of the new system. So they, it, but they forget to communicate the short-term wins. And by short-term wins, it's about recognising those early adopters, but shouting about it. Now, the benefit of doing that is that every time you recognise, let's say, the top line managers who've done all of their appraisals, within the, in the um, brand new system ahead of time, what you are communicating is, first of all, this is the expectation. Secondly, some key people are doing it and they're getting recognised in a good way. They're getting good attention. And thirdly, you can see what they're doing. <laughs> so Big Brother can see. And so the, those people who bury their head in the sand and think, you know, and they've got away with it in the past, they've been able to bury their head in the sand until the change went away realise that maybe I'm going to have to make a change because it looks like people can tell. 
So this is another stage between the change and the refreeze bit where sometimes you find that organizations think they've done it at this point. So they celebrated some successes. Yay, we've made the change. We're 20% there, 30% there. But if you really want to refreeze in your new ice cube shape, and then what we have to do is consolidate that change. So keep re uh, reinforcing it. So it might be change further systems. Um, with Actus, we might say roll out, um, ask, you know, turn on recognition or look at talent management or 360. So bring in um, new aspects of that existing system. Start small, but keep it fresh. You know, it gives you a reason to keep it fresh with people. And then you can bring those in um, and also potentially get other members of the team to support because your original change team may have had enough by this point. In fact, they may have moved on beyond their natural strengths. And then finally, you know, anchor those changes, which is really about communicating, you know, this has been a great success. We now have 95% of people who are doing XYZ process, I'd say, you know, managing performance, uh, you know, all year round. Um, we can evidence it by this. And we can see that in our staff survey or an engagement survey that people are recognising that they feel better led, whatever it might be. So you look for evidence to link your change together to show that it's achieved what you wanted it to. And you keep on reinforcing it by other routes you need. So you need to keep on measuring it and monitoring it. Otherwise, it will slip back. The other example of that where it works really well and the clients that we work with that have this working really effectively are the ones that they get their reports up um, at the board meeting. And everyone can see whether you know sales operations, customer service or different directorates or um, diff different parts of the of the organization are, are doing things different so it might be that you know one group are at 80 percent completion but a gr other group hasn't started you share something like that at a board meeting what you're doing is you are getting the business to own it rather than hr to own it and there's nothing like a little bit of competition at board level again using reporting which all digital systems should have um, that it would allow you to see the difference between those departments and it really will nudge behavior on so that's a run through the, the Cotter change model. And uh, one of the things that I, I talk about um, in that is also think about having different roles within it as an HR change agent. Um, and I've talked about that on, on other um, webinars and podcasts. Uh, but the one that I probably would just emphasize that I haven't put, put, pointed in too much is that whole point I'm saying about consolidation. If you are talking about a long um, a long change project, you know, it's going on for months, maybe years, because it's culture change and it's a big system and you've got a big organisation, uh, then what often is useful is to, once your initial change team have got it to a certain stage, is introduce fresh blood. Because in my experience, the people who are really good at starting things, they're not necessarily the greatest at implementing and they get bored. So why not bring in someone who is really good at dotting the I's and crossing the T's, who loves it, make it part of their job to report and to be consistent and to chase up because this all links back to our consequences that I'm going to go on to. So don't think it has to stay with that one person. Think about by turning it into business as usual, you need this to become not a change. Um, it's not a destination. It's an ongoing way of working. And that chasing and that embedding will continue uh, is what you need, as opposed to it being something that People only feel nagged at. There's only a little bit of impetus at the start when the project is new and they guess go, all right, I've done it now. I never have to do it again. If we want to change those new behaviours, we have to find a way of reminding people uh, until it becomes habit for them.
Then I talked about these four C's and I have really touched on all of these already in the other models I've talked about. But for me, these are really key. If you want to think about a change, um, a system change, any any change, or if you've rolled out Actus or any other system, um, what do you need to think about? Or if you're reflecting on it, um, what did we do right or what should we do more of? And you still can do more of this. So communication. Did we tell people enough of why we're doing this, what's in it for them, what do we expect of them and by when? Did we tell them that? And we, did we tell them that 10 times more than we thought we should? Did they hear it? Then were we really clear with people about what's expected? So, you know, did we say when something needs to be done by and what good looks like? So really having that clarity about those expectations and being specific about it. You know, not being general, just talk to people more, coach more. Actually, specifically, how are we going to measure those outputs? If we're going to be more output, what will we be looking for from you in order to recognise you, your outputs? Then we have to just be consistent. And this is where lots of us are less good at this, including myself. It's this broken record approach. So the thing about being clear with the guidelines, it's easier to be consistent because you have to chase people. You say, I, we told you when it had to be done by, why haven't you done it? How do you chase somebody if you haven't said specifically, if, if there's nothing to measure? Here's your whole client, client, yeah, classic thing about a smart objective. How do you know someone's achieved it if it isn't smart? And, and I know smart objectives are not everything, but this is about clarity, clarity of expectation. If you want people to buy in and change, they need to know what's expected of them. So did you do that? Have you been clear? Or was, was your launch a bit wishy-washy? Do you, think, do you need to set some new expectations? Go, well, you know, we've been through a pre-launch. We've we did a soft, a soft launch of our new system, um, and now we expect everybody to be using. In fact, we're going to be measuring. You know, we expect ninety percent usage, or put a metric against it by such and such a date. It doesn't matter if you didn't do that from day one. It was a soft launch, but now everyone's had chance to buy into it. Now we're going to tell you we expect you to buy into it. And then, of course, when you're very clear like that, and this is like performance management of performance management, isn't it, if, it, if we're talking about this, but as I say, it applies to other systems too. What's the consequence if someone doesn't buy into it or do this? It needs to be a consequence. Now, I'm not saying you're going to fire people, um, although you might, I suppose, if someone persistently didn't do something that was expected of them. Uh, but, you know, there needs to be a consequence as in your line manager is going to talk to you. Um, the director, HR is going to come and have a, a word. It might be that you're not going to be eligible for the next latest development programme or a performance review if you haven't done certain things. And that doesn't have to be just at individual level. If you're trying to embed new management behaviours, a way in which you can do that is by setting a clear objective for everyone in the organisation about the level of management behaviours that you want them to demonstrate, the frequency um, of meetings. And, you know, what happens if people don't do it? You make it visible and measurable. So that is a way that I've seen work. And in there, I can appreciate it's not necessarily as um, bottom-up as some, it's got to be what's right for your culture. But if you leave it very ephemeral, it's really hard to have consequences. And so um, how do you drive any change in the first place? Now, I appreciate it. what we're doing here is to a certain extent, you're getting compliance in these circumstances. But if you start with compliance, then you can start to look at the quality um, and, you know, developing people and, the, and ensuring that something that more comes of it. So, uh, so, you know, you still need to have the right messaging. You're not saying it's just about tick box, 
but you do have to get people to engage in some way. And what we're talking about here is how you can get people to decide to engage in the first place. So there needs to be consequences if people do it or don't do it, and they need to know what they are so they're not surprised. Now, a brief nod to the change curve, the transition curve. I've done whole episodes on this, and again, I'll link back to these episodes in the show notes in more detail. But um, many of you will have heard of the transition curve where people with any change naturally go into denial, resistance, exploration, commitment. Um, And some of them will sit in denial and resistance for ages um, and maybe never even go into commitment because if you don't do that bit of the refreeze, the embedding the change and really enticing the laggards along, you start by carrots enticing them and you finish by a stick and telling them they've got to, then uh, you don't get that change to to happen. And the biggest risk is people who are quiet Um, and aren't complaining. So I know we always feel it's the noisy ones that are complaining that are the problems, but the good thing about that is that they're actually the resistors. At least you know what they're bothered about. It's very difficult for the people who are, say, the headedness and the deniers. So there are different ways in which you can bring people through that change curve. So I've gone into this in more detail um, uh, in other podcasts, so I won't go into it here because I'm going to keep this high level. But fundamentally, you know, they're the sort of things, if they're in denial, they're kind of going, oh, I'll keep my head down, they'll go on to the next thing. Um, but then that's all in their head. So you need to get people out of denial to resistance in order to win them over. You don't know. So you might think that someone who's in denial is just thinking, I'm just going to ignore it. You might think, oh, great, they've bought into it. They haven't said anything negative. So if you don't say, how do you feel about it? Or when are you going to do it? Or what's your plan? You don't know how they really feel. And if you demonstrate yourself to be willing to listen to their views, then they will say, well, I'm worried because I don't think I've got time to do this or I don't see the point. At least then you've got an objection, something you can deal with and you can help to motivate. You can sell to them why it's a good thing or tell them why they don't have a choice (laughs) in the nicest possible way. But ideally start with selling to them. And then as you get through that um, and actually much of that resistance, although I was saying selling to them, probably the most important trait at that stage is to listen and empathise, understand their concerns, um, allow them to get them out so then you can address those uh, in future. Often they will have really genuine concerns that do need addressing and therefore by getting these people to tell you them, you can fix it and make it work for them. Then if you guide people through, they start to think about possibilities and you know the difference there is we're talking more about how or the future, they're questions, they're still questions, but they're more future oriented. So that's where you just provide them with information, provide them with training, because they're up for it and clarity about what's there, and they're on the way through to commitment. Um, And that's what you're after, really. So think about that change curve as well. So that natural state that people go through in, um, in terms of these, and think about how you can adapt your style or recognise where people are in a change curve as to which bit of behaviour you need to demonstrate. Is it about communication? And communication is listening as well as telling. Um, Is it about empathy? Is it about providing training um, or empowerment and adapting that? And that all needs to be fed into your change programme, thinking about that messaging and communication all the way through. So finally, my eight steps, if you're in this position and thinking about your um, going forward with a rollout of something new or reflecting on something and maybe you want to do a relaunch, think about, did you do all eight of these steps? If not, do you need to do more or will you do more? 
So step number one is be really clear about what's expected. You know, set a target for uptake and the time frame for it. The second point is be clear about why. Why are we doing this? And make it as inspiring as possible. The benefits at every level of the organisation, strategically right down to the individual. Be clear about the consequences of non-action. Now, you can be gently clear about that at the start, but if you're doing a relaunch, you be clear. Point number three, I'm saying you need to be, okay, if you know, this is something that has to happen, this is why we're doing it. If we don't do this, um, this will be the issue, or this is how it will be followed up. Um, so just know, you know we can, and it, you know, we're able to pull reports on this, so it'd be very visible as to which teams are um, performing and aren't performing in this area or buying into this or using this system, whatever it might be, and we'll be having a chat with those who aren't. You know, how, in terms of that, take that and, and it's use that uh, appropriately at the end of the day, if we've got professionals listening to this, um, but it is useful at the right time to be clear that there are consequences if people choose not to join in and be prepared to communicate it. When you're talking to people, use multiple communication channels and sponsors, credible sponsors. It doesn't want to be an HR um, initiative. It's so much more powerful if you've got people and they are the leaders that people aspire to look up to. And it doesn't have to necessarily be senior, um, although that's helpful. But there are other influences that uh, should be seen as sponsors too. If people have concerns, make the time to listen to them and address them, take them seriously. And then we've gone through that. So you told people what to do. You told them why they should do it. You said, what happens if we don't do it? You've told people and told people again. You're addressing their concerns. Remind them what the expectations are. So we've been through this cycle. And even if you've still got concerns, this change is still here to say. And we still will be moving to System X on October the 1st or July the 1st, whatever it is. Celebrate those wins. So recognise and celebrate success publicly because that gives that really great message that this is here to stay and that you know, it's a good thing to do and people see it. Um, and those who are not complying, follow up discreetly. So it's kind of celebra celebrate you know, the, the, you know, publicly, but be discreet about non-compliance and then use other routes to do it. Uh, certainly, and that's maybe in year early years, and if you've got persistent people who don't comply, maybe you don't have to be quite so you know, discreet, be straight on it, but don't let it lag. That too many organizations, they say, go and do this. Then when it doesn't happen, there's no follow-up. And it's, it's almost like, if you think about teaching kids manners, if they learn that they can get away with not eating their vegetables with their dinner because you just give in, we're gonna capitulate. Uh, then they just carry on doing it and they, they, it goes on and on and on, doesn't it? I'm not sure that's the best example, but you know what I mean, right? If we teach people that we're always implementing change, but we never do it properly and there's no consequence if you do nothing, then they don't trust that we mean what we say, they don't buy into it and you never have a change and you create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I suppose that's a good way to finish is don't engage on a change unless you're prepared to see it through or you can get the resources and the sponsorship um, from others that they will see it through to make sure you do achieve those goals you set out to, to achieve. And then tell people you achieved them. Isn't this amazing? We got 90% of people doing appraisals within six months in the system. Um, you know, and it, that's just, that's the doing. It, what's even more exciting is if you embed something, you can then say, and you know, we've 
10 people who went through the leadership program that we managed last year have now got promotions and we they got that because we could see their skills and um, they were on our succession or talent pathway so there are other ways in which you can tap into what people are motivated by and that's all because we had their details we knew what their career aspirations were um, they were visible centrally you were able to put them on the development program and had that not been used properly, you wouldn't have had that data, which has then resulted in that positive. So that's a different kind of success story, which again, be more motivational than everyone's just done an appraisal. And forgive me, my examples are predominantly actors related because that's something that I'm involved in day to day, but this is something that relates to if you're putting in a no benefits system, new HRIS, new expenses system, um, and actually just more cultural change as well. So it does, it is relevant to others. So I hope you could got some um, take homes from there that you'll find useful. As I mentioned before, I'll put um, this webinar on the HR Uprising podcast site. And obviously the podcast is also available if you want the audio recording and we'll make the slides available to you too. Thank you for listening. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast. <laughs>